With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Friday, September 30th, 2022. And tonight... We won't talk much about, if at all, in depth on the Cardinals' loss to the Brewers from Wednesday. No game Thursday as St. Louis returns home to take on the Pirates in the final regular season home series of the season. And then they'll play three at Pittsburgh to wrap up the 162 before they head into the wildcard series next weekend. But we won't talk about the loss to the Brewers on Wednesday. There was no podcast last night about the game. The game didn't matter. And you could make the argument, depending on which side of the debate you fall on, that it wasn't so bad for the Cardinals to have lost that game to Milwaukee 6-2 on Wednesday. But instead of diving into the minutia of that game, in which the Cardinals didn't put out their A lineup, let some guys rest, a process that we'll probably see a little bit of as the remainder of the season unfolds, although this weekend you may want to get at least the big-name veterans in there for one last hurrah in front of the home fans. I'm talking Albert. I'm talking Yachty. And, of course, Wayno slated to start that game on Sunday. But besides that, you're probably going to want to give some rest to guys as they gear up for the playoffs. And so that's kind of what we're going to begin gearing the podcast towards as we approach that fateful day, October 7th, which will be Game 1 of the Wild Card Series at Bush Stadium. So tonight, what I wanted to do was dive in a little bit on some strategy and the preferences you might have with regard to which team the Cardinals face coming up in the Wild Card Series because there are a few possibilities for who it could be. We'll go over the standings as it currently sits right now and talk about what would need to happen to change it and what the different possibilities are and then what the preferences might be between some of the options that the Cardinals could end up facing in that best two games out of three series, all of which will take place the weekend of October 7th at Bush Stadium. And then I want to get into a little bit of a conversation of who would you like to see start those games for the Cardinals in the wildcard series? How do they need to line up the rotation to be most successful in the playoffs? So those are going to be the topics for tonight. I want to give you guys a quick reminder before we jump into the content of the show that you can and should subscribe to B-Shape Daily on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so that you get notifications and you always are aware of when the latest episodes are dropping. So make sure you do that and rate and review us, please, if you'd be so kind, especially on Apple, if you could get the reviews up over there, that would be much appreciated. If you listen on Apple, just takes a couple of minutes to give it five stars and maybe write a little bit of a blurb if you want to. Don't have to. Appreciate you guys who have done so already. It definitely helps move the show forward to get those reviews going. So thank you guys for that and for checking out patreon.com slash bshafer12. If you'd like to support bshafe daily, that's the best way to do so. Head on over to the Patreon. Check that out. I'll be posting the against the spread picks and over under picks for NFL fans 
that I did in a podcast on the B-Shaped Daily feed last night. You can scroll back one on your podcast feed if you missed that. I'll be posting the written links to all of that so that you can read those in case you don't want to listen to it. That's all going to be on the Patreon with timestamps as well to where and when I talked about each and every game from week four coming up in the NFL. So that's on the football side of things, uh, a little bit of what we're doing there. But appreciate you guys, as always, for joining me for the baseball conversation. That's what's going to be tried and true, fast and furious as we get into October here in just the next couple of days. It'll be October and then postseason baseball will be off and running. The Cardinals will be there. We know that much already. The question that remains is who will they face? And there are a couple of possibilities for that. Let's update you on the National League playoff standings as of tonight. The conclusion of play on Thursday. Here's the way it looks. Dodgers far and away the lead, 108 and 48. They'll be the number one seed. That is locked in. Not going to change. The number two seed is up for grabs right now, and it's going to come from the winner of the NL East. Right now, the Mets have the lead in that division. 98 and 58 is their record. The Braves are one game behind them at 97 and 59. Those teams do play each other. I believe that series is coming up now this weekend. And I know regardless of it, they've got three games left. So that's going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out over there. And it's an important series, an important battle for the division because it does make a huge difference now that there is a buy into the NLDS for that number two seed. The winner is going to advance directly to essentially the final eight of Major League Baseball this season. The loser of that division will end up on the same side of the bracket as the Dodgers as the number four seed in the top wild card in the National League. The Cardinals are locked into the number three seed. That's where they will end up mathematically. There's nothing that can be done to change that. And so these final six games of the season, they really don't matter too much for St. Louis. It's just about getting the players right and ready to go for the games that do count beginning on Friday, October 7th. Cardinals are 90 and 66, and they have clinched the National League Central Division. So they'll be the three seed. As I mentioned, the four seed will come from the loser of the Mets Braves out east, and that team will end up taking on the number five seed, which will be the second wild card team. So again, first wild card is coming from the east. Whoever doesn't pull down the division will earn that distinction. And then the second wild card right now is the San Diego Padres. As things stand, they're 86 and 70. They are two and a half games ahead of Philadelphia and three games ahead of Milwaukee. And again, That's the Padres standing right now as the number five seed. So if they remain in that seed, and mathematically at this point, going to be tough for the Phillies or the Brewers to catch them. But if they remain there, they'll be the number five, and they will take on the loser of the NL East race. That'll be the 4-5 matchup. Let's say right now, because it's the way it stands, that the Braves fall short and the Mets win the East. Mets will be the two seed. Braves will be the four as that top wildcard team, and they will host... As of now, the Padres in a best two out of three, same as the Cardinals will be doing at Busch Stadium. And then the winner of that, which right now is looking to be the Braves and Padres series, they'll have to take on the Dodgers in the NLDS. So that's one good factor about this is that we know the Cardinals avoid having to potentially match up with Los Angeles until the NLCS. That would be the round in which you would see the Dodgers play the Cardinals if both teams advance that far. Then it gets interesting. Number six seed in the final wild card, the third wild card from the NL. It's right now a very close race between the Phillies, who are once again 83 and 72, 
And then there's the Brewers, who are 83-73. and 73. They've played one additional game. So the Phillies have one more game to catch up to equal the amount of games played by Milwaukee. And the Brewers have lost that additional game, which puts them a half game behind the Phillies as of right now. And the Phillies, as it stands, would be that number six seed. But it's neck and neck between them and Milwaukee. And so it looks as though Cardinals fans, you'll be deciding between, and it's not as though you get to choose, but you can state your preference and know what to root for for the next week or so between the Phillies and the Brewers. Again, with San Diego up two and a half on Philly and up three on Milwaukee and having only the six games to play, that would be like the Brewers or the Phillies having to win out and the Padres would have to have a pretty bad week in order to be lapped there. So in all likelihood, as long as the Padres win a couple of their last six games and the Phillies don't run the table or something like that, same with the Brewers, Brewers can max out at 89 wins. Phillies can get to 90, which is where the Cardinals currently stand. It would be very difficult to see the movement happen there. It can obviously happen if the Padres go on a bit of a slump and one of those other two teams really picks it up, but it's unlikely to see it. So let's just assume right now, for the sake of argument, that we're deciding and we're debating between the Phillies and the Brewers to face the Cardinals at Bush Stadium next weekend. Because according to the mathematical likelihood, that is what you're looking at more more likely than not. There's no other team that's even mathematically in consideration. Technically, the Giants have not been eliminated. They could win 84 games. The Phillies are right now at 83, as are the Brewers. So technically, the Giants could run the table if the Phillies and Brewers both lose out. And I don't believe either of those teams face each other, so that's not going to be a factor I guess technically the Giants could still make it. That's not going to happen by the next day or two. That will be mathematically an impossibility, which just leaves the Phillies and Brewers vying for one spot. They won't both make it. Barring a collapse by San Diego, you're going to see either Philly or Milwaukee out of the playoffs, and the other one will be facing the Cardinals. So the question is, the million-dollar question, who would the Cardinals rather see in that wild-card series next weekend? And for me... It feels a little bit weird, first of all, to say like, all right, the Cardinals should want to face Team X or Y because inevitably when you do that, that's bulletin board material, right, for the other side. That's why I think it's really interesting in a playoff format where they've talked about going to a deal where you pick your opponent, you choose who you play. And this is all, this has never really been anything that was was highly considered as going to happen, but different people have their different opinions on that would be a great way to do the playoffs because then you can reward the top seeds in that way, allowing them to say, yeah, we'd rather face this team, even if the bracket wouldn't structure it that way. It would be a way to pick your opponent. It's not something that I think will ever happen. But in this case, the Cardinals can sit here and at least root one way or another if they have a preference. Again, it makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable because you could say, oh, I really think that they should want to play the Brewers. And then you turn around and you go, Well, they do have Corbin Burns. They did just get pretty well blanked by Brandon Woodruff. Maybe not such a good idea. So it's a a lesser of two evils situation because regardless, you're going to have to play your best baseball to beat either the Brewers or the Phillies. Both teams have gotten here for a reason. They've had good seasons. They're both 10 and 11 games above 500. So neither is going to be a complete slouch. However, 
I do think the Brewers would be the team that you'd match up better against if you're the Cardinals. Here's my thought process behind that. I'll go over that, and then we'll get into a little bit about, okay, pitching-wise, what would be the way we'd like to see things line up, and how could that change over the next week based on what we see. So let's start with looking at the Brewers and the way the Cardinals match up against them. Cardinals this season played 19 games against Milwaukee. They won 10 of them. That's the reason that the division was clinched when it was on Tuesday because even though both teams could have at that point gotten to 90 wins, there still was no chance the Brewers could surpass the Cardinals because St. Louis had the tiebreaker over Milwaukee. By getting to 10-9, and nine, or 10-8 and eight at the time, against Milwaukee in the regular season series, that was the tiebreaker. The Brewers obviously went on Wednesday, so 10-9 and nine is the Cardinals' final record against the Brewers this season, and... That's what determines a tiebreaker is head-to-head record this year. No more game 163. You add too many games to the playoffs and an extra round and stuff like that. It kind of detracts from the potential to have those game 163s. You got to get this thing over before the end of November, right? So before Thanksgiving, we'd like to have a World Series done, and that's the reason that they do away with game 163 now. The Cardinals barely beat the Brewers in the season series, 10-9. to It wasn't like it was a blowout. It took all the way till Tuesday to guarantee that series uh, over the over the Brewers for the, the scope of the entire season. That being said, I look at the way the Cardinals rotation could match up against Milwaukee's lineup, and I think it's favorable to St. Louis. First of all, Milwaukee as an offense just has really not been as strong throughout the season as some of the other contenders And then of late, in particular, it seems like they've just kind of lost some steam and they don't have the same momentum as some of the other teams heading into the playoffs. You look throughout the season, OPS leaders in baseball, Dodgers, Braves on top, and then the Cardinals third in the National League. Then you've got the Mets, then you've got the Phillies, and all of those teams are in the top eight in all of baseball, those National League clubs. The Brewers down at number 10 in baseball, are sixth in the National League in OPS this season. So of the teams that we're talking about to make the playoffs potentially in the NL, the Brewers rank six out of seven. The Padres are much lower in terms of OPS, 699 overall, ranking 18th in MLB. So maybe you could say, yeah, root for the Padres to be a team that that drops down and does fall into that number six seed because maybe the Cardinals face a lesser lineup. I think the Padres aren't very deep offensively, but they do have some scary players like Machado, like Juan Soto, and then the pitching for San Diego. I look at you, Darvish. I look at Blake Snell, who just put the Cardinals away with relative ease this past week, 13 strikeouts. Probably not a good matchup for the Cardinals. And then, oh, by the way, they have Josh Hader. So I, I'm i not going to talk a lot about the Padres just because mathematically it's not too likely that the Cardinals would see them. Some things would have to happen before that could be become possible. If that starts to develop over the next week, we might pay attention a little bit more to the Padres. But right now, I just don't think it's too relevant. And so we're mostly going to focus on the Brewers and the Phillies. But just wanted to mention, like, kind of bizarre that they have an OPS below 700 for the season. San Diego does as a team. I feel like whoever wins the East, that lineup, or I should say whoever loses the East between the Braves and the Mets, that lineup going against San Diego's lineup in the wildcard series, I'm going to lean toward the team from the East regardless of who it is. Whoever loses that division, I think, has an advantage over the Padres in the playoffs. But the Padres do have a pretty good pitching staff. 
bullpen. We'll see how Josh Hader does. For the Cardinals, though, we know Josh Hader, not a good matchup. So ideally, St. Louis doesn't see those. I think of the three possibilities, that would be, not only is it the least likely, it, it should be the one the Cardinals would be the most concerned about, in my opinion, even though that lineup, again, not particularly strong. The Brewers lineup, though, not super strong. 10th in Major League Baseball, again, 6th among the National League teams. And you look in particular over the last 30 games, they've been even a little bit lower. Last 30 days, I should say, Brewers ranking 12th in Major League Baseball, 708 OPS. Now, granted, the Cardinals are even lower than that, 683 over the last 30 days. It's been something we've talked about on B-Shape Daily, though, the entire time, that the Cardinals are going to have to hit better than they have in the month of September if they're going to get it done in October. There's just no ifs, ands, and buts about it because offense is what has carried the Cardinals to this point for the season. Like I said, they rank third among National League teams and fifth in all of Major League Baseball in OPS this season, 747. Pretty solid number. Only behind the Dodgers, Braves, Yankees, and Blue Jays. The Cardinals have slugged their way to success. They've done it with their offense. That's got to be their calling card. Six highest slugging percentage in, in baseball this year. You look at on-base percentage, they're fifth in OBP. That's the name of the game. They're going to be a good offensive team if they're going to get to their ultimate destination. But the Brewers, I think, are a team a little bit in decline offensively as well. But their top-end ability just doesn't match up to what the Cardinals can do as far as a slugging lineup top to bottom, a lineup that can set the table when they're going well with guys like Donovan and Newt Bar at the top. Tommy Edmonds, another example. I just think the Cardinals lineup top to bottom, it's indisputably better than the Brewers can offer. And that's really been true throughout the course of the season. But then you can go a little bit deeper even than that and talk about the splits that I think could benefit the Cardinals against Milwaukee because against left-handed pitching, the Brewers are one of the worst teams in baseball this season. Their OPS against right-handed pitching, pretty good. Seventh in MLB at 749. Or pardon me, that might not be seventh in MLB. Let me sort the table. Fifth in MLB at 749. So, for instance, Cardinals, 747 OPS overall this year. Brewers against righties, actually better than the Cardinals, 749 to the Cardinals tied for 7th at 7.29. But if you sort it by the Brewers when they face left-handed pitching, totally different story. The Cardinals, 8.11 OPS against lefties. Thank you, Albert Pujols. They have killed lefties this year. 8.11 is the best OPS in baseball against left-handed pitching. The Braves, second at 7.85. Like, it's not even remotely close how good the Cardinals have been against lefties. And I'm going back to the middle of the summer. I said, don't don't start your lefties against the Cardinals. It doesn't make any sense. If you're another team, Cardinals shouldn't see a single lefty. Now, granted, there are some high-end lefties like Blake Snell, like some of the other guys that the Cardinals could end up seeing that you start them because they're just that good and and you just you put your best against their best and see what happens. I get that, but if you're a mediocre lefty, you shouldn't be facing the Cardinals. Granted, you get into the playoffs, there won't be any mediocre lefties left. They'll all be sitting at home watching on TV because they play for lesser teams, more likely than not. But it's just amazing to see that disparity. Cardinals 8-11 against lefties. The Brewers all the way down at 25th in MLB. Sixth from the bottom, 668 OPS against lefties. 
That's an advantage for the Cardinals, who, by the way, have two lefties in their rotation. So we we get into the rotation talk. You can kind of guess the way that might potentially go. Let's look at the pitching of the Brewers, though. Corbin Burns, obviously really tough, is a guy that the Cardinals have seen a lot of this year. And in many cases, he's pretty well put the lineup in their place. Although in the last appearance on September 14th, the Cardinals did get three runs against him. They had the two homers in that game at Bush Stadium, and that was the uh, a Wainwright start as well. Seven innings, three runs allowed by Burns with the two strikeouts. I think that was his worst start against the Cardinals all season. I'd have to go back and dig in a little bit deeper to that, but I do believe that's the case. And even still, considering he's been so good, right, it's, it's obvious that he's been a menace against the Cardinals. I think Michael has faced him a couple times throughout the season. He's a really good pitcher. He won the Cy Young last year for a reason. But I feel like the Cardinals, in their games against Burns, they have been able to beat him at times. It's not always pretty. You don't expect it to be against such a good pitcher. But we've at least seen examples of the Cardinals getting to Burns and call it recency bias, but the most recent example is that one from September 14th. It's the only game the Cardinals won against Burns this year, but you can remember back on opening day, the home opener last season was Corbin Burns, and that was the game where they just were able to get him out of the game. And Arenado, his first home game as a Cardinal, hit that home run in that game. Cardinals beat the Brewers. So it's happened a couple of times. He's had a good year against the Cardinals. Otherwise, he had an 11-strikeout game against them back on May 29th this season. It's been tough going for the Cardinals against Corbin Burns. Again, you just sort of expect that, though, for a pitcher of his caliber. But, yeah, we can admit that it hasn't always looked pretty, even though there is that one recent example where you got three runs, and that might be all you can expect to get against a pitcher like Burns. And in that case, it was enough for the Cardinals to get that win. So it has been done before. It is conceivable. Brandon Woodruff, another example of a guy who he's pitching really well right now. He has four straight games with 10 or more strikeouts. But the Cardinals have had a game against him this year. Again, few and far between. Like, this is another guy that has had their number, but had a game against him in which he only got through four. They worked counts. They they got a couple of runs, including a homer off of him earlier in the season. Were able to get the job done. Most recently against Woodruff, obviously not great. That was a game that just took place on Wednesday. And I think, by the way, I said earlier that it was a 6-2 Brewers win. That was not the case. It was a 5-1 Brewers win. Cardinals won 6-2 on Tuesday was the reason I had that score in my mind. I'm not going to go back and edit that, though. You guys just stick through here. If it made you mad 20 minutes ago, now you know I corrected it. So, sorry about that. But you've got those two guys that you know you're going to face, and then it could just be a number of guys potentially for a Game 3 scenario kind of hard to figure who they would feel confident in. And that's kind of part of the reason that you maybe don't feel quite as concerned about anybody in their rotation beyond the second guy. Granted, I'll give you that. It's tough to get through those first two guys. Like, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a challenge. And I would say that the Brewers would probably have the pitching advantage over the Cardinals. If not for the fact that you felt so good about the ability to take them on with a lefty. Like Jose Quintana, he pitched really well on Wednesday, didn't get super deep into the game, doesn't always have to, and in the playoffs, you don't get too concerned about that anyway. But that's a guy you could throw against him. Miles Michaelis just pitched well at Milwaukee. 
in the clincher on Tuesday. That's a righty, but it's a guy that uh, nine strikeouts against a Brewers lineup that looked a little hapless at times. And even in the game on Wednesday, it took them until getting to the bullpen late before they were able to pile some runs on and get that 5-1 to win. So I feel like the Cardinals' superior lineup, you have an obvious matchup advantage that you could exploit against them, and there's the familiarity where you've beaten them. Granted, it was by just one game, 10-9 to this year, but you do have that advantage of having done it this season. So I feel like that's the way it shakes down against the Brewers. Against the Phillies, kind of a different story. Whereas the Brewers can't hit lefties, Philadelphia is much better against left-handed pitching. And so you might have to reconsider the way that you would want to line up your rotation against Philly in that case. They're seventh in baseball in OPS against lefties. Philadelphia is, that's a 769 mark. Against righties, Philadelphia just a 729 OPS, which still ranks pretty well in terms of across Major League Baseball. It's still 10th, but that's a good, and it's actually 727 now. It was 729. They must have dropped a couple of points today since I last looked at it. That's a 42-point differential. They're definitely a notable sample size. They're they're better against left-handed pitching. Now, you've got some big names in that lineup who are lefties and don't hit as well against lefties, Bryce Harper, Kyle Schwarber, and so maybe that would be a way that you, as the Cardinals, could say, hey, we recognize that as a team they're better against lefties, but the two biggest names that we would fear the most aren't. So maybe we go ahead and find a way to exploit that with guys like Steven Matz. Maybe you throw Jordan Montgomery or Quintana out of the bullpen. Maybe you find a way to get Hennessy Cabrera back. Like You could have a lot of creative ways to attack the lefties in those lineups. I don't know about Hennessy Cabrera and Bryce Harper again, though. Maybe that Maybe that wouldn't be the best idea in the world. Um, believe Cabreras, who hit Carp, uh, Bryce Harper in the head last year. But nevertheless, I feel like if you're the Cardinals, you could still find a way to have an advantage there over the Phillies by using your lefties strategically and then otherwise attacking the righties like Reese Hoskins in their lineup. Uh, Real Muto is another guy who does well against lefties, but you see the numbers come down a little bit against righties. So for me in that situation, I'm looking at a guy like Miles Michaelis and saying, yeah, that could be an advantage against the Phillies. Adam Wainwright has two starts against the Phillies this year. One of them was a nine-inning, two-run outing. Obviously, Wainwright not at his peak yet, and so that's going to have to be considered is, all right, can he get back to that point before the playoffs start, or do the Cardinals need to pivot and go in another direction? Because there would have been a time this year where it would have been unthinkable to say that Wainwright should not be a starter in a potential three-game series at Bush Stadium. I think it's going to depend a little bit on what he looks like on Sunday. He's going to have to get a feel for things once again before you feel confident that he'd be able to get the job done. But I look at the way the Cardinals would match up against the Phillies. First of all, Phillies are a much better lineup, just top to bottom, than the Brewers. And then from a pitching perspective, even though I will admit that Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff are scary as a one-two punch. I don't think they're any scarier than Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. Cardinals had a decent outing against Nola this year, but Zach Wheeler, they have faced twice. I think he's thrown seven in both games, and they haven't scored a run against him this year. Zach Wheeler absolutely has their number, I think, in, in ways that maybe supersede what Corbin Burns or Brandon Woodruff would do. Now, maybe Nola's the wild card that, that you say, oh, I'm not afraid of that. I just think the the Phillies are deeper from a pitching perspective. Uh, the Brewers don't have Josh Hader anymore, so you don't have that to worry about. 
if you get into the back end of games, they're gettable in ways that they haven't been previously. And I think what it boils down to for me is Cardinals have had two of their better starters, Quintana and Jordan Montgomery, over the second half that are left-handed. And that's an advantage for Philadelphia in general. So I don't know if that's something that would play into people's opinions. Really, though, what trumps it all for me is just looking at the lineups. I think the Cardinals can mow the Brewers down. They just, I don't have the confidence that they could do that against the Phillies. There's too many good hitters in that lineup. Bryce Harper, I mentioned him, Kyle Schwarber, Hoskins, Real Muto. Uh, not necessarily a great hitter, but you got to consider with uh, the Amundo Sosa factor. He is on Philly at this point in time, so there's some familiarity there. They've got a deeper lineup, Alec Baum. Like, they've got more guys that you would have to pitch around, would have to consider, would have to be careful with. And I just don't think I have that same fear with Milwaukee. And when you add in the fact that I think the Cardinals could really line up their pitching in a way that can make life difficult on the Brewers, that's what sells it for me. So let's go ahead and do that. I've explained my reasoning for liking the matchup better against the Brewers. Let me know what you think. Cardinals against the Brewers or the Phillies, what would be a better matchup in the wildcard series? At for 12 let me know on Twitter. I did uh, retweet a poll that we did at KTGR Big Show where we asked that exact question on the show. I said Brewers would be a favorable matchup. Andy said, my co-host Andy said, the Phillies. And uh, we put that to a poll. About 65% agreed with me on Twitter, but you may be one that doesn't. You may be one that does. I want to hear from you either way. At for 12 send me a tweet, send me a message. Who would you rather see the Cardinals play? Here's my thought process behind what they would do against the Brewers in terms of setting up the rotation. I would have to go with Quintana in one of the first two games, maybe even game one, because he's been so darn good since joining the Cardinals, and he has that factor of being a left-handed pitcher that it just turns the Brewers into a puddle. Like, as a lineup, they just have not been able to figure out what to do with lefties, and it's been a significant problem for them. So I like the idea of an advantage of having Quintana who's not only a lefty, but a lefty who's been so good since joining the Cardinals. He's got a 2.11 ERA. That is ace-like stuff that the Cardinals have gotten from Quintana. Now, he doesn't get super deep into games all the time, but in September, he's made five starts, averaging over six innings per start, 30.1 innings, 28 strikeouts, 0.89 ERA over the month of September in five starts. That is nails from Jose Quintana. So, yeah, he's my guy against the Brewers in a Game 1 scenario. Obviously, you may match up differently against whoever you play in the NLDS if you get that far, but I think Quintana's going to give you five or six innings, and he's not going to give up more than two runs. I would be surprised if he did against the Brewers, and that's really all you can hope for. Go to the bullpen with guys like Gallegos and Helsley thereafter. Helsley is going to have to be available for all the games. Like I'm not saying he'll be able to pitch three days in a row, but... I mean, it's going to have to be all hands on deck in this sort of wild card series where it's game, game, game. There's no days off, no travel, no nothing. So, yeah, you only need five, six from your starters, and then you got to trust your bullpen every day. Like, you got to be available. You just have to be, barring just feeling absolutely garbage. I know there are times throughout the season when you want to be careful. That won't be the case October 7th through 9th. And ideally, if you win the first game, now they're on the ropes. You can win that game two and you win the series. You don't need game three. And that would be the point at which I would go Miles Michaelis for game two. Yes, I recognize he's not a lefty, 
but he's at home. His numbers at home have been ridiculous this year. 2.38, I believe, is the ERA compared to about 4.2 ERA on the road. It's nearly two runs better for Miles at home, and that is substantial. He looked good against the Brewers on the road. I just think he would be able to be the guy to lock it down for St. Louis. You could go Michaelis in game one if you felt so inclined. I would want to maybe exploit the matchup with the lefty and then throw Michaelis as a righty at them to where even if you do end up losing one of the two games, you can go game three back to a lefty, change the look again, Jordan Montgomery, game three. What I would need to see, though, from Montgomery is one more good start. I think he pitches tomorrow on Friday whenever he pitches this weekend, just needs to look good because he has struggled the last few starts. If he has another clunker, I'm not confident in going to him necessarily. Uh, And if I am going to choose him in a uh, winner-take-all scenario game three for the wildcard series, I will have all hands on deck behind him. That could mean Steven Matz. That could mean literally one time through the lineup for Montgomery, and then Steven Matz gets a turn through the lineup thereafter, and that can get you five or six innings. I mean, that's probably wishful thinking. It can get you four or five innings, right? And so that might be the way to approach it. You have to think creatively for solutions in the playoffs. Brewers can't hit lefties. You've got guys that pitch from the left side and can give you a little bit of length in terms of innings. So that's probably the way I want to do it. You notice there's no Adam Wainwright in that list. And as much as it pains me, you got to look at the numbers for Wainwright recently and consider he might not be the best option against a team that does really well against right-handed pitching relative to what they do against lefties. Like, the advantage is there to beat the Brewers from the left side. And even though Wainwright has had opportunities against Milwaukee this year, they haven't always gone up to plan. I mean, I'm going through right now, four and a third, four runs. Five innings, four runs, three earned. Four and two-thirds, four runs. And then he figured it out with a nine-inning outing in the game that they lost Wainwright had some bad luck with going nine and not really getting the credit for it. That was a game in St. Louis on August 13th. But he goes nine innings, gives up one run, eight strikeouts, and then he he faced them as well on the 14th. Five innings, one run, but only three strikeouts and gave up eight hits. That was number 325, I believe, when he and Yachty broke that record. He's had some rough outings, though, since then to where it's been dead arm. It's been all throughout September low strikeout totals, which again, he's not a strikeout guy, but you got to be able to miss bats. And even when he's going well and not striking out gaudy numbers like 9 and 10, he's still picking up about a strikeout per inning, 5, 6, sometimes 4. To see the numbers so consistently, one strikeout, one strikeout, three strikeouts, it's it's a concern, I think, for September. And we know the reason for it. He talked about the dead arm. He brought it up at first saying that he was kind of coming out of the dead arm in that outing against Milwaukee. But in the two starts we've seen since, that appears to maybe not be the case, right? Like, he hasn't looked like Adam Wainwright, you know, the way that we've come to expect him to look. So I can't automatically just put him in there, especially not against the Brewers, who are much better against righties. I could consider other guys. Probably don't want to go Jack Flaherty, just knowing, again, the advantage righty-lefty. I haven't seen enough from Flaherty, but I could see a scenario where Flaherty works his way into consideration if the Phillies are the team the Cardinals play. Michaelis would be my game one starter, no questions asked, against the Phillies. And the advantage of that would be you could start him earlier in the LDS, potentially, but I also don't know how big of a deal that would be because you might want to 
seclude him to home starts as well. Somebody's got to pitch on the road, though. Maybe that's Jordan Montgomery in a game one or two of the LDS. Don't want to put the cart before the horse. I'm just trying to think ahead a little bit. But basically, whoever starts game one of the wildcard series would be available for game two of the NLDS, which would be a road game at the NL East winner. For me, I saw enough in that start from Michaelis against the Brewers this week to believe, all right, he could push comes to shove, pitch on the road and do well. But the numbers are overwhelmingly in favor of him pitching at home instead. But you get the chance to choose that in the wildcard series for sure. So game one, it's Michaelis for me if they face the Phillies, just with the fact that they haven't been as effective against righties as lefties. I don't know if that takes Quintana completely out of the equation for me, but it does if Wainwright has a good start on Sunday. That would be where I'm comfortable. You're facing the Phillies. He went nine innings, two runs against last time he faced Philadelphia. And if he has a good start Sunday, I probably am going to still throw him. As crazy as it sounds, I feel good about the idea of a resurgent Wainwright if that's what we see. If it's not what we see, then it's not what we see. And you, you probably can't necessarily start him. I'm not saying he's not on the roster, but you're going to look in another direction probably for, for bulk innings, perhaps. That's just kind of the, you can play matchups, you can do whatever. But the reality is, if he's experiencing dead arm, it's not a guy that's going to help you. And I think Adam Wainwright knows that as well as anybody. And that's why Sunday is going to be an important one for him in terms of his consideration for October. Game three would be very interesting against the Phillies. Let's say you went Michaelis, Wayno looks good, so they pitch him game two, but then you end up needing a game three. What does Jack Flaherty look like this week? That would be a question for me because he's a righty, has pitched in those scenarios before. You remember 2020, the Cardinals lost that final game of the wild card series against San Diego in San Diego, but it wasn't because of Flaherty. He pitched very well on that night. I would need to see a really good start from Flaherty in his final outing of the regular season because it's just been so topsy-turvy for him this season. I can't just look at five innings, three runs, and six strikeouts with a couple of walks and go, yeah, that's fine. That's good against the Pirates. That's that's going to give me confidence. No, it's, it's really not. So it's got to be dynamic and fantastic from Flaherty in his next outing. Big strikeout totals, commanding the strike zone, efficient. If he looks nails, I'll throw him with the season on the line. I would do that against the Phillies, not against the Brewers because it's just not a good matchup. You want... Montgomery, if Montgomery has a pulse in his last outing of the regular season, that's enough for me to choose Montgomery over Flaherty in the wildcard series against the Brewers just because of that lefty matchup. But against the Phillies, I would consider him. It's the same reason I'm considering Wainwright. Um, Dakota Hudson's probably about too far gone for that to be a consideration, but I wouldn't sleep on putting Dakota and Steven Matz both in the bullpen if they can find room for both of them and maybe seeing some value in being able to have a bulk reliever, line up good matchups, things of that nature. You got it. If you're Ollie Marmel, you know you're going to be managing creatively. So just something to think about. At the same time, how far do you want to go with the matchups and say, okay, if Quintana's been your best pitcher in the month of September, would you really not throw him at all in a three-game series? Would you allow your season to end without him taking the mound? No is probably the answer to that. Even against the Phillies, I would find a way to get Quintana into one of those games, whether it's as a starter, as a reliever, Again, all hands on deck. He's got experience as a reliever last year. He did it more often than he started, so that's not necessarily a crazy thought. Even against the Phillies, there are going to be spots where you want good lefties, and you can have him face Bryce Harper. You can have him face Kyle Schwarber. 
maybe in the same inning. So my my bottom line is you got to be creative if you're the Cardinals thinking about these things, but that's sort of the way it lines up for me. Pitching-wise, game one against the Brewers, it's Quintana. That's who I'm going to. Game one against the Phillies, it's Miles Michaelis. No question about it. It gets a little trickier after that, but if the Cardinals can put their best foot forward in a game one and the offense can get things going, you're going to have a much more ideal scenario for that game too because you know that it's the one that can get you to the next round and you can take a breath before having to play again. You would get that off day on Sunday. That would be a nice advantage before getting the NLDS going later in the week. Bottom line, though, Cardinals offense is going to have to be the one that carries it this postseason. You're not going to get past any of these teams without slugging your way to it. It's how they won throughout the season. Yes, I trust their bullpen to an extent. I like the back end. Ryan Helsley, you may not find a better closer in baseball this season. Reason to be confident in that. I like the rotation if the matchups are utilized effectively, and I think they will be. Ali Marmol's done a great job of that this season. But offensively, the bottom line is it looks like a puzzle when it fits together, and it's really nice. Top of the order, what do you want? You want some guys with a little pop, sure, but you want on-base percentage. They've got that in Brendan Donovan. They've got that in Lars Newtbar when they go against right-handed pitching. They've got that in Tommy Edmond. He's had a great month. He's been one of their better hitters over the month of September. You can put between those three guys, that's your one, two, and nine hitter. I don't really care what the order is. I could see arguments going any variety of ways. But that's the, the the table setters of your lineup. The guys who are driving in the runs in the middle. It's Goldschmidt, number three. It's Arenado, number four. It's Albert in that five or six spot, depending on are they facing a righty, facing a lefty. For me, Albert's the DH regardless. You might find a way to get Juan Yepes in there. I could see an argument for that maybe against righties. He's been pretty hot since coming back up. I want Yepes playing basically every day this week to see if he can really find something heading into the playoffs and be a weapon for you, whether it's off the bench, whether it's in the lineup. But Albert's in that maybe the sixth spot if you want to break it up with lefty-righty. I could see an argument to bat Dylan Carlson fifth so that you can have that advantage of a switch hitter in there. And then there's a question about Tyler O'Neill. Is he going to be back healthy before the playoffs? And if so, are you playing him? Um, against righties, lefties, I would say you probably do. The defense alone in left field is a consideration. Carlson's my center fielder. Doesn't matter, righty, lefty. I've talked about that. You don't have time to me to mess around with Corey Dickerson in your lineup. Even as that lefty advantage, look at his numbers over the past month. It hasn't been there the way that it was for a while. He doesn't offer power. He doesn't offer good defense. So I'm not batting him above Albert Pujols in my lineup and I don't think I'm batting him in my lineup at all. So I'm just kind of looking at those spots. One, two, three, four, nine. Feel great about it. Albert's going to be five or six. Carlson's going to be in there. Maybe you could make an argument for five against right-handed pitching. Probably more likely he'll be down at seven with your catcher. It's going to be Yachty in most cases. I would be surprised to see Kisner make many starts in the playoffs. That That's the eighth spot in the lineup, whoever your catcher is going to end up being. And then I think the question mark is maybe the number five spot. Again, does O'Neill get back? If so, it's probably him. Would they go Corey Dickerson against righties? I don't think they ought to, but it's what they've done often recently. Juan Yepes, I'd be fine putting him in the outfield. I don't know if that's left or right. Newt Barr would play the other corner. It's not ideal, but if you want to get your one of your best hitters in the lineup, which is Albert, 
against right-handed pitching. I get it. He's been better against lefties all year. But just in general, Albert has been one of the more consistent hitters in the month of September during a period in which the Cardinals have struggled at the plate. So I'm playing Albert. Uh, if you didn't want to do that, Yepes could DH. And then you could figure out, you know, Pujols for a specific pinch hit opportunity against a lefty later in the game. And then O'Neill in left. But really, if O'Neill is not back, I'm not compelled to sit Pujols in any regard because I don't think that Corey Dickerson is a better option. Like, if you went that way against righties and sat Pujols for Dickerson and then D.H. Yepes with Dickerson left, I just don't think that's an advantage. So I'm playing Pujols. He's in there for me, batting fifth or sixth. Against lefties, I'd be very curious to see if the Cardinals do face some lefties in the playoffs, what the situation might be there. In terms of, would you bat Albert second? We've seen that at times, but was it maybe because he was chasing the home run record for 700 and that's why Ollie did it that way? Probably so, but you certainly have some confidence in Dylan Carlson facing lefties. You move him up into the maybe the number two spot in the lineup uh, behind Donovan who or Edmund, who's a switch hitter. Both of them uh, would be able to handle that leadoff spot, I think. And so I like the way the Cardinals match up. I think that the full picture of the lineup is an effective one, and it's more effective than what the Brewers have. Uh, Maybe more slugging ability within the individuals on the Phillies, but I still think top to bottom, the Cardinals might have the better lineup. And so that's going to have to play out over the course of not only a short series, but the remainder of October if the Cardinals are going to get where they want to go. Bottom line, you can talk about pitching, you can talk about matchups. Will the Cardinals offense be there? Goldie is the MVP, in my opinion, in the National League. He hasn't hit like it recently. Can he turn the corner? Same thing for Arenado. Can the guys at the top continue to set the table the way that they have? Those are the questions that will determine the season more so than anything else. So that's a little bit of my thoughts, stream of consciousness style, looking ahead at who should the Cardinals want to play. I think the Brewers over the Phillies, but if you disagree, tell me why. Again, I think Zach Wheeler, don't want any piece of him. Aaron Nola, pretty tough customer. I guess you could say the same about Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, I get it. I think the familiarity there would benefit the Cardinals. They figured out ways at times in their history the last couple of years to scratch off one, two, three runs against those guys and figure out a way to win. That's what postseason baseball is. I don't know if you can scratch runs off against Wheeler. I just think that's an auto L, and it's nothing that I would have interest in if I'm the Cardinals. So that's a big difference for me. Phillies have a better lineup. The Brewers lineup doesn't look as competent lately. So that's the way it kind of boils down for me. But as we've said, matchups all you want. Can the Cardinals hit? Will the offense turn it around? That's going to determine their fate. Appreciate you guys for sticking with me throughout the season and in particular for this episode as we sort of take a look at everything that uh, is laying before the Cardinals here over the next week. We will dive into more detail on specifics of matchups, of some of the things that we've talked about as it becomes more clear who it's going to be that the Cardinals will face. Looking forward to it, though. Looking forward to this weekend as well. Out at Bush. Do the games mean anything? No. Are fans going to enjoy getting to see the last ride in the regular season for Albert and Yachty and potentially Wainwright? They certainly will. So it'll be fun to get down to the ballpark. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.